everyone, and welcome to Aval Cafe. My name is Brian Hosler. I'm the founder of Stormroots Consulting based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Carolyn Kamen. Hi, everyone. I'm also an independent evaluation consultant working out of Vancouver, BC. This podcast is an informal chat on evaluation topics, the kind you might overhear at your favorite coffee shop if your favorite coffee shop were frequented by evaluators. This podcast is for everyone. If you're an expert or a novice, long-time practitioner, or just starting the field, or even if you don't identify as an evaluator, as long as you have an interest in evaluation, this podcast is for you. Welcome, everyone. This week, we have our first ever special guest on the podcast. Uh, we're here today with Don Flaming, manager for the A Project Ethics Community Consensus Initiative, or Arecki, with Alberta Innovates. And he's here to talk to us about navigating the ethical issues in projects that aren't research, such as program evaluation, whether that be in healthcare settings, community not-for-profits, or academic settings. So we're here to talk ethics today. And uh, Don, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, but first, I want, I want to do this right. Uh, understanding that your participation here is voluntary, but that your information is not going to be kept confidential, um, do you consent to participate in this podcast? How ethical of you. Yes, I do. We are nothing if not ethical on this podcast. <laughs> okay, so do you want to tell us a little bit about your role? Sure. So I'll just uh, thank. First of all, thank you very much for inviting me to to for the to the podcast. I'll just give you a, just a super brief information about myself. My background is in health. I'm a registered nurse by profession. Uh, I've been uh, in this role as a manager of a recce for uh, about two and a half years. Uh, now, as far as my ethics background, even uh, uh, even when I was doing nursing stuff, I sat on for six years. I sat on one of the legislative-mandated uh, research ethics boards in Alberta, so that anybody who was using health information needs to go to one of these three. So I was on one of those for six years. Then as far as Arecki is concerned, I, um, I'm managing it now, but I was involved uh, in its early stages, steering committees, working groups, that sort of thing. So I kind of have an ethics perspective from the RED perspective, and then also from the non-research, as you said in the intro, program evaluation, call improving, that sort of thing. Um, so that's, that's who I am, and that's why I'm here. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're so glad to have you. And I think, I mean, Brian and I, we have a bunch of questions for you. And my first question for you is, uh, why should we be ethical? Why should you be ethical? Well, it, uh, uh, what we always say is it's, uh, uh, you know, to protect people and their information. So why that is, it's sort of a, um, uh, well, a couple of things. So you have your professional ethics. I know that evaluation, evaluation folks have a code of ethics. It sort of uh, dovetails with that. So you want to be ethical that way. Uh, as human beings, we want to be ethical, our personal ethics. Um, so we, we, but the bottom line is we want to protect people and their information from, um, from, uh, you know, leaking out, from, uh, you know, not uh, maintaining confidentiality, that sort of thing. What are some, if you're not ethical, there can be some harms that can happen. Harms can be, you know, financial, um, emotional, physical. So it's really to protect people from, from harm. And it's all about making decisions. Uh, to act or not act, uh, uh, once you balance the risks and benefits, to protect people from, from various kinds of harm. Definitely. Yeah, and I think when we think about ethics and research ethics specifically, uh, we might go right away to that kind of medical model. We might think about, uh, you know, there's some famous examples. My background is psychology, and there's famous examples of uh, some studies in the past that are not really, uh, that wouldn't pass muster today for sure. Uh, but, you know, we're, this is an evaluation podcast, so 
when we're talking about research and evaluation, people often try to differentiate the two. Is there any benefit to distinguishing between those two when we're talking about ethics? Definitely, and from uh, and that's sort of one of the whole, um, basis of a recce. So, from an recce perspective, the uh, the reason you need to differentiate between research and non-research is so that the project gets the appropriate ethics review. So, I always very consciously use the word appropriate ethics review because often people default to review research. Well. The, uh, having an REB, and I sat on one, having an REB uh, review a project that is not research is not the most appropriate uh, uh, body. So you, you need the appropriate body. And I'll give you an example of that. So, for example, uh, uh, well, for in the quality improvement world, there's a PDSA cycle, plan, do, study, act cycle. Uh, and so, you know, that's that, that it's a very commonly accepted, very well-respected methodology in the QI world. I mean, it means that you change things on the fly as new information comes up. Right. Well, if you would send that to an REB and said, oh, by the way, we're going to change things on the fly as new things come up, the REB is not going to be happy with that. They're not going to like that. So that to me is a, a, a kind of a very good example of why um, it's a, you need the appropriate ethics to a recce or or, or uh, yeah, a recce is set up that way. That is that's that's what we we know that's a, a good for QI. So that's great. But um, so the the, re, the biggest reason for distinguishing the two is to get the appropriate ethics review. And from the recce perspective, the distinguishing feature of whether it's research or not is the primary purpose. So uh, when a recce was dealt, you know, over a decade ago, you know, they, uh, people, well, should it be the level of risk? Should it be identifiability? Should it be method? Should it be publications? You know, should that be the distinguishing feature? And, you know, they came down to no, because um, there's risk in eval. There's, you know, there's risk in, um, um, uh, from recruitment, all kinds of different risks in eval that can be in research. So that shouldn't be the um, determining criteria, but the primary purpose. So for research, uh, very commonly accepted, the primary purpose for research is to create generalized knowledge to, you know, advance some kind of discipline. Whereas the primary purpose for stuff that you folks do is not necessarily to create generalized knowledge, but to help, you know, context, help a program, help. It's very more. Your, your goal is not to necessarily generalize the knowledge. Now, that's not to say other people can use it, and you want other people to learn from it, but that's not your primary purpose. Mm -hmm. I was wondering for our listeners, some of them may not be familiar with a recce. Do you want to take us through uh, what that is? Sure. Just very briefly, a recce is uh, um, we have what we offer is two online decision support tools. Um, the one uh, um, the one is a screening tool. So it it, um, it helps you determine whether your project is research or not. And then it also helps you uh, determine the ethical risks in your project. It's a series of questions: yes, no. Uh, some behind-the-scenes calculations that happen, uh, so the, and then the second tool is uh, we call it a guidelines tool, and it's sort of it's a series of six major questions or some sub-questions to help you think about the risks in your project. So those are the two online tools. We also have training sessions, so uh, project ethics courses we call it, and so that those courses, uh, the sort of the standard one is a day and a half, although we've developed some. Um, some new new models, but the idea behind those is that we get uh, um, you know you learn about ethics a bit, some of the background, you learn how to use the tools. But it's the purpose of those uh, that workshop or 
course, to be very practical. So a lot of it is time to spend on your, you bring a project mm. and then work on it uh, uh, through that. We also, the third thing we offer, we call a second opinion review, and it's really an ethics consultation. So what that is, so we have a, I have a cadre of uh, uh, um, trained people, um, and they will, um, some project leader will submit their stuff, their documents to me. I'll farm it out. That person will review it and then um, arrange for about a 45-minute telephone call. It's a conversation. We talk. It's very conversational uh, to talk about the risks and mission strategies. And then uh, they send a letter to the project lead. So those are the three sort of things that Arecki is all about, the online tools, the course, the training, and then the second opinion review um, offering. Mm-hmm. I've I've gotten to use the online tools. I haven't been able to access the other two components yet. Although I think I'll, I, I, yeah, the in-person training is a little far away from me. But I, I like the idea of being able to get some online support. Um, but I've one, definitely one found the, uh, the one tools of the online. modalities we're trying is is to have distance offering, completely distance offering. So we're we're fine tuning that. That would be great because yeah, I, I remember the first time I heard about Arecki, and I was working in a university at the time, but we were doing evaluation. And uh, a colleague of mine said, yeah, I mean, the REB is just not, it's not designed to handle evaluation projects. And they don't. You know, the Tri-Council policy is that program evaluation does not fall under their purview. Um, and, uh, but of course, we're still very concerned with being ethical. Um, and, and that goes beyond just the responsibility of a researcher. So being able to have a reference um, tool that was more appropriate to our situation was great. Uh, one thing I did when I was preparing for this, you know, I looked at your, uh, listened to your previous podcasts. And uh, so this is sort of, uh, um, you know, so what I'll say, well, the last one you did was called Under Pressure, was managing managing your stress. Mm-hmm. So what I what I would suggest, and I'm, I, I say this often in the courses, and people come back to me and say, absolutely, and recognize when they're in the courses, is something like, something like Enrique Process can actually will help you manage your stress, I might say, I dare say, uh, in the sense that if uh, it is a, it's sort of a, a comprehensive, um, uh, uh, robustish kind of approach to, to uh, your project, the ethics. And so if, if you follow this, you will think about things beforehand uh, and mitigate them before they happen. Because, you know, the, the worst, you know, what you don't want to happen is halfway through, three quarters of the way through, you come up with an, uh, you know, an ethical thing that, oh, oh darn, something, and you may even use an expletive instead of, oh, darn, uh, <laughs> that, you know, that you that you have to suddenly change something or you set, set back a couple months or whatever. But so this way, if you use something like this, it's a it's a way to, uh, to um, uh, so that doesn't happen in, in the first place. So the other podcast, the, uh, there was another one, uh, Don't Fear the Evaluator. And, um, uh, you know, sometimes uh, people, uh, you know, might fear you folks for various reasons. But I think if you use something like a recce, you know, some kind of systematic approach, uh, you, what you can tell folks is that, you know, you're doing your due diligence, however you want to say that, you may not want to say due diligence, but, you know, kind of let them know uh, that you're, you're doing your due diligence. Um, uh, and it sort of might give them some confidence in what, in what you do. The other thing I'll mention about the other, uh, sorry, I just remembered about the, the managed stress uh, one, the under pressure one. Um, I remember you talking about toolboxes and toolkits, and I know that program folks and various um, people love their toolboxes and toolkits. So what do you also say in these, um, uh, and when we, in the courses, what I recce is is really another tool that you can use in your toolkit. It's another, you know, depending on the lens you can look at things, um, uh, it, and it just it just helps you build following the matter, you know, build, build your, um, your, your projects. 
yeah. So anyway, I just thought that was trying to connect it with some with some of the other podcasts and uh, some of the other interests that you that evaluators have. Hmm. No, we definitely appreciate that and appreciate knowing that there is someone who actually listens to our podcast. That's always a, a positive formative feedback to be hearing from uh, from somebody. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. The idea of having a toolbox or having something to bring to folks, but. Um, one issue that I've identified in my practice sometimes, whether it's as an internal or an external evaluator, is that sometimes we might believe or we might see this ethical issue, but we're not sure how to raise it. So um, how can evaluators kind of breach this whole subject of evaluation, uh, sorry, of, of ethics and evaluation if the organization we're working with doesn't have any experience or they don't have any policies or procedures in place? Like if it's not on their radar at all, what's a good way to raise it? Yeah. No, excellent question. And, you know, we get, we, uh, uh, you know, people in the course actually, you know, do talk about that. So one, one thing that I say, if people do the course, I'll, I'll chat about with if you, people have done the course, but one thing that uh, the, the, the course does, it gives people another a set of language or another language, another set of words, another phrase, another concepts that you can use to, um, you know, help people understand the importance of ethics. So sometimes it's just a matter of, uh, you know, framing your thoughts in a in a different way that you know again you know we we thought about how to do that uh, and so we can we can we help people with that. So I, I think the other um, if if the other way to do it is um, would be to uh, perhaps um, you know if you let's say you've you've done the screening tool and you've identified some of the risks you know just just bring that along and just say you know i i you know i'm i'm looking at this thing i'm doing my again you don't have to use the word due diligence but you know i'm doing my due diligence and i i went i ran my the project through this tool and it says that you know we should we really need to think about confidentiality or order but i think sometimes people just um you know need a sometimes that helps to have um, some materials at hand, some documents at hand to help persuade people that there are as, as, about the ethical risks. Um, yeah, so I, that's the suggestion I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wondering what uh, what are the types of you know common ethical risks that you see come up in evaluation in projects? Um, good, good question. And and um, uh, you know, for any, people who've been involved in research, you know, some of them are, are very are very similar. So um, common ones, uh, I'll use a broad word, coercion. So, for example, uh, you know, in the, in the healthcare field, uh, you might have a manager or some some level, some person wanting to do, um, uh, you know, a survey, uh, some focus groups, or whatever, with with some of the people that they're supervising. Well, you, you know, that that could be coercive, and and maybe you know, people just haven't thought of that. Uh, the other thing that uh, someone sometimes programming uh, within the healthcare setting, especially one actually with non for profits, I've come more more across. You know, they may want to look back at patient charts or clients charts, uh, and just you know, we have some good data here. We want to look at this or that to um, uh, to evaluate to evaluate something. Uh, and so you know, you might see if you don't have a you know kind of a robust data extraction tool, as I call it. Some kind of you might see stuff for you that you don't want to see for the project, and that so that would be an ethical risk. That you're one of the principles we always talk about is you should only collect and see data that's necessary for the project. So sometimes if you don't have these, if you haven't thought about that, oh, I'm going to see all, all kinds of data that I don't necessarily need for this project, you may not realize those are, that's an ethical risk. Con, uh, data, any kind of um, data security is often a, 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 um, an issue. People may not realize 
uh, about using even some things like encrypted this or that. Um, uh, so, um, recruitment consent is another one. So often people will say will have thought one of the um, assumptions is is that oh uh, you know this is just eval they. People don't need to consent to what they're doing, um, and and so that that's something that we talk about a lot. Um, and even if you don't sort of get written consent, which often you don't need to, but we really focus on informing people. People need to be informed of what's happening with their data. So that's a common one. People just haven't thought about how we can inform people. Mm, I think that's a really good point. I know having done traditional research and also having done evaluation. Um, I thought that, you know, I had a lot of training in, in ethical research practice and was very familiar with the steps and procedures there. And then when I started doing more evaluation work, I was just running into totally different types of ethical challenges that I hadn't anticipated. And I know, um, I think it was, uh, Brian, it's you, you're always the one who reminds me to go back to the, um, the practice standards. But I'd, like there are various, you know, guidelines that I've, I look back to for guidance on um, you know, these scenarios where I think with research, it's, there's a focus on, okay, I'm, I'm here to develop knowledge in an ethical way, but not necessarily to put that knowledge into practice myself. And I find it's that putting knowledge into practice. So giving information to someone who's going to make a decision based on it, that in some ways almost feels like a, a higher threshold for ethics in some ways, like that, you know, this is going to be used, this is going to affect people's lives. And that really raises the stakes for me. And, uh, and I think that's where I found tools like Arecki to be really nice because they were geared towards that kind of situation. One other common, one other common um, thing that people don't necessarily think about um, is, uh, so let's say that you're doing a survey of, of whether that's in, in the healthcare or even a nonprofit, and you're having your the person who's sitting at the desk, the reception desk, or, or in, in a hospital, it might be the unit clerk, that sort of thing, you know, hand out the survey. Because you, you think, oh, well, they'll just hand out the survey. Well, there's a ri real risk to that. And for example, if the people who are receiving the survey ask this person, oh, what's this about? Do I have to answer this? Do I, you know, and this person has no idea. And they might get, there's stress. They might get people mad at them, which is, you know, they're not supposed to get, you know, that's not part of their job is to get people mad at them. So another big thing is that people don't often, uh, what, we, uh, what we say is that anybody who touches the project, touches, not necessarily even delves into it, but even touches it, they, are at, they should be considered a participant in the project, and there are ethical risks to every participant in the project. So that's another very common thing that people don't, uh, don't think about. Yeah, so um, we often talk about differences in term, for evaluators between kind of taking an internal uh, uh, internal role that we're working as uh, an evalu evaluator within an organization or within a program or an external, we're coming in as an external consultant. Um, is there any, uh, does that have any influence or is that, any, is that a consideration we should be having when it comes to ethical practice? Is there any differences in how we should be approaching ethics uh, depending whether we're coming in as an outsider or whether we're kind of already within the system? Uh, again, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I, we do talk about that, or we, we have people who are both internal and external for that. Um, I'll, I'll say a couple things. I'm not quite sure if it'll answer your question, but uh, the, uh, when I was just saying about um, uh, you know you know participants at risk, the other uh, if you're an internal evaluator, 
We always should say that the organization is at risk in the sense that because you're an employee, I'm assuming an internal means employee, mm -hmm. uh, an employee of the, the organization, you are representing that organization somehow. So if you, the, the, the ethical risks are not just for you doing the project, but because you're an employee and representing the organization, the organization is at risk. So that would be another reason why we suggest organizations, uh, you know, that would be when I talk to people higher up in the org, you know, I say, you know, this is a, again, I'll use, this is a, a risk management strategy, enterprise risk management strategy, another tool in the toolbox, uh, evidence of due diligence, that sort of thing. So uh, when if you're an external, I mean, I think the, the ethical uh, risks assessments, the things you do are, are, are you know, I'm going to say the same. I, I can't off the top of my head think whether they be different. But I know that um, uh, talking to people who are who are external evaluators, sometimes they do indeed have a, a uh, sometimes a tougher sell um, to people. To their, you know, people who have hired them, uh, to talk about the ethical risks, and I think it's just uh, what we're you mentioning earlier about, you know, people aren't um, uh, who you're working for, you don't recognize them. I would suggest the same sort of strategies there about bringing, in, you know, this document. Um, um, yeah, you, again, you know, also building a good rapport. I know that was one of your podcasts. You know, about rapport building is important. I think this is all part of that too. Now, I'm not sure if that's a great answer uh, to your question, though. No, I think it does, and it brings up, yeah, that kind of risk uh, issue and where that falls. And, yeah, I had to consider that if you're an internal evaluator, it, it could reflect negatively on, on your organization. There could be an, uh, a reputational issue. It could be a liability issue. Yeah. I mean, some of that exists as well for an external, but it's a little bit uh, diffused in terms of responsibility. Yeah, Brian, you and I have both worked in, in both internal and external capacities. Um, and, I mean, have you noticed... Have you experienced different types of ethical challenges in those different settings? Um, yeah, like one thing that comes to mind is that I had worked in a, in a community healthcare setting and where there's multiple programs happening and I worked for one specific program, but we um, uh, had to be careful around communication in terms of potential participants from one component of the organization to another in terms of what kind of firewalls had to be in place in terms of even though we were under the same roof, that sometimes we couldn't communicate or we weren't, it wasn't ethical, it was determined uh, around sharing information. So, I mean, that was a challenge to figure out how can we, uh, what's the, uh, the balance between program effectiveness and outreach, but then also maintaining ethical standards. So, um, yeah, that's one example that comes to my mind right away. Yeah. I think the one that comes to me is um, when I'm, you know, working in an organization, especially when I'm like physically present in a building and if there are people receiving services in that building and I'm meeting people and building relationships with people and that sense of, um, you know, do people know I'm a an evaluator? Do people know and understand my role and my job? Are they going to, if they find out I'm an evaluator, are they going to think, oh, has this person been collecting data on me or you know, scrutinizing me in every interaction that we've had. And I think that can apply both to people who are receiving services as well as other um, employees. And I think being able to establish clear relationships of trust and have good boundaries and demonstrate that um, and make sure that, yeah, you're not surreptitiously collecting data everywhere you go or things like that and being mindful of information that's shared sort of privately and confidence that, that just because someone chatted about it at the lunch table doesn't mean it goes into an evaluation report, even if you think, ooh, that's a good insight, and taking mm -hmm. other routes to follow up. If, if there is something that comes up in a casual conversation that you think is relevant to an evaluation, following up in a transparent way. So, Don, is there, um, 
Is there any kind of uh, ethics myth or a commonly held but false belief that you'd like to debunk about ethical practice? Well, a good question. Uh, about well, the, the myth I'd like to debunk, I'm not sure about the practice, but uh, so the myth I'd like to debunk, uh, and I, actually I, I was thinking about this, uh, one sort of heading I had to myself was, you know, the how has the ethics landscape changed in the past, you know, decade or so? So I'll, I'll maybe go with that and then see if that kind of answers your question. Um, and so the, the one big thing I'll say is, is publishing. Uh, it used to be the case, and I still uh, encounter it, that you know, if you want to publish, you have to go to an REB, through an REB. Well, that's no longer the case. There are lots of journal, uh, you know, you know the evaluation journals better than I do, right? QI journals, that sort of, that, that, that you know, you don't need REB review. Um, somebody in, in within Arecki did a, a, a sort of a survey of, of editors, even, uh, you know, of, of sort of higher impact journals. Some editors are silent on the issue, you know, submission to offer authors. Some say whatever your org is, uh, is okay with an ethics, uh, ethics review, that's good for us. So that's why, you know, and, and uh, we did a program of, of a recce recently, a kind of a comprehensive one, and our librarian quickly found about 30 articles that were, you know, had a, had a recce actually mentioned as, uh, as the root. So that's one thing is that people are, are, are switching that. The other big one that um, changes that indeed, you know, people are understanding that there are risks in evaluation. So it's not sort of an, an individual myth about a risk, but just that uh, you, there are risks in evaluation mm -hmm. and QI and things that, that maybe that were not thought of before. So, you know, the same risks in a survey, regardless of its research or not, uh, and some of the stuff that I was, I was chatting about before, you know, recruiting, consent, those are all the same. So um, those are the myths, I think, that, um, um, you know, from that perspective. Those are two really great points, yeah, that you that it's not uh, impossible to publish uh, evaluations that haven't gone through an REB, and uh, and yes, definitely that evaluation carries risk. That my my eyeballs popped out of my head when you mentioned that one, um, which, uh, but at the same time, as I wasn't surprised because I've seen um, a conversation between evaluators, even even among evaluators ourselves, when ethics comes up in conversation. Uh, you know, eyes sort of glaze over. People stop making eye contact. Like it's a conversation people didn't necessarily want to have. And I don't know if it's because it was seen as kind of boring or irrelevant or just too complicated. Um, I I feel like I've seen that discourse change. I feel like I, I'm seeing more and more evaluators actively and and with enthusiasm engage in discussions about ethical practice. And and we'll see in terms of the response to this podcast. Um, but do you think? Are our evaluators ethical enough? How how can evaluation as a discipline improve our approach to ethics? I, I think one and um, one way would be to um, embrace some kind of systematic, comprehensive way of looking at projects. Now, recce is one way. I mean, obviously, I'm the recce manager, so that would be one way. But but even there, I know that there are some organizations who will use some stuff from a recce and develop their own sort of. Uh, you know, I think the word systematic and comprehensive would be a good thing to think about how you could become more ethical. <laughs> um, uh, so that would be one way. Uh, and and also to acknowledge that um, you following your there may be um, you know following your professional ethics or personal ethics, um, as they say in, in philosophy, is necessary but insufficient. Uh, if that's one of our lines from Arecki is that this, uh, this uh, looking at a project from a different 
perspective. So just an example of what I gave you earlier, you know, everybody who touches a project, there's ethical risk for everybody who touches it. Well, you know, your professional personal ethics may not have sort of thought of that, but if you think of a of a project ethics, uh, you know, then you then you you kind of think of that. So I suppose that in that way being more ethical, something um, comprehensive that's consistent, that's transparent, uh, shows you due diligence again. I, th I think that would be a, a, a useful thing. And yeah, from the result of this conversation, um, I, like this is definitely uh, some great insight for me and really makes me think about how I can kind of incorporate some of these ideas into my own practice and working with different clients. Um, and like you said, I think a recce um, is a good uh, toolbox for us to, to uh, a good tool to add to our toolbox as evaluators. Uh, what are some other resources out there that uh, evaluators, especially those who work in an external capacity, um, what are some resources that we can access? What are some other resources to support ethical practice? I, I look, um, because I think there are, you know, some similar, uh, very similar risks in research and non-research, I've looked at some of the research world. So, for example, I know the government of Canada, they have some, uh, some templates, like consent templates. So, I guess what I'm saying is I don't, you know, just, just because uh, I'm not in research doesn't mean I don't, you know, I, I can really use some of that research stuff. So, I, I've looked to uh, those kind of resources. Um, 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 uh, you know, consent is a big one, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, also, we uh, in Alberta, you know, have the Office of the Information Privacy Commissioner, and I suppose, you know, you folks have something similar. You know, they have good um, documents to use. Now, I know that they're from a legal perspective, but uh, sometimes legal and ethical, you know, overlap. Uh, but but it gives you some some ideas. Um, um, Trying to think of other things uh, that, um, that 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 I've used. So I guess looking to other organizations. If you, um, you put in the Google term, um, you know, ethics review or whatever, you can really get some good uh, good information. That's great, Don. Thank you so much. And I just wanted to um, now that we're nearing the end of this episode. Uh, I think you guys have a forum. Speaking of resources, I think you guys have a forum coming up uh, in November. If you wanted to tell us a bit about that. Sure. So uh, every year, Recce um, develop, um, organizes a forum. We had one in Edmonton just a couple weeks ago, but we have one coming up in Calgary on November 24th. And, um, you know, the speakers are, are um, um, the, the, some of the topics we covered. In fact, we do have somebody from the Office of the Information Privacy Commissioner talking. We have somebody talking about the ethics of, uh, of a data collection. So the, 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 the theme of the day is uh, data's journey, avoiding ethical pitfalls. So we have somebody talking about surveys. We have somebody with data collection. Uh, the other, uh, we have somebody talking about uh, patients and program evaluation. So in Alberta and across the country, there's a, an emphasis on having patient-oriented research. So we're thinking, well, what about patient-oriented program evaluation? Mm -hmm. So we have somebody who is involved in patient-oriented research come and talk to us so that we can learn from them. So this is an example earlier of saying, you know, looking to existing other things that maybe aren't program eval now, but can help you think about program eval. So that's the, those are the kind of topics we'll be covered at the forum. Well, that sounds really exciting and uh, definitely something to check out for anyone in the area. And we're going to have links to um, all of the resources that we talked about today in our show notes as well, including we'll, we'll put up a link to the forum and to the Areki tool. Uh, so we've been talking today to Don Flaming, manager for Arecki, or a Project Ethics Community Consensus Initiative with the Alberta Innovates. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today about 
being more ethical evaluation practitioners. Thank you for having me. Okay, that's it for this episode of Eval Cafe. Thank you to all our listeners. Please check out the rest of our episodes on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, or Google Play, or by going through our website, evalcafe.wordpress.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at evalcafe. And if you want to drop us a line, you can find us at evalcafe.podcast at gmail.com. Musical credits go to Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com for Poppers and Prosecco, our intro theme, and Dispersion Relation, our outro, as well as to Tim at tabletopaudio.com for the lively cafe ambiance in our intro.